Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. And my name is Daniel Janine. I'm a producer at Eater. Amanda, will you give us the rundown of today's episode? Yes. Today on the show, we are talking about the labor shortage in the restaurant industry. It is a really big national story now that restaurants are opening back up and some cities are opening back up 100%. They can open at 100% capacity. Uh, and unemployment is really high, but a lot of restaurant workers are not returning to the workforce. Uh, there are many factors at play. A lot of people are blaming unemployment insurance because it is higher, but I think it is much more complicated than that. Uh, actually, a lot of restaurant workers just don't want to go back to work because they don't feel safe yet. A lot of people are leaving the industry for good because of the instability and the rocky year they've had. Uh, there's also just a ton of competition out there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of restaurants that had yet to open and were waiting till after COVID, they're opening for the first time. A lot of places that were kind of offline and hibernating, they're reopening. And then the places that have been open all along, they are staffing up. So how are we, uh, as hosts, attacking this issue? We are bringing on Saru Jayaraman uh, from One Fair Wage, who is a workers' advocate and can talk about uh, what's what's really going on behind the scenes here. We are bringing on Alice Chang, the CEO of Culinary Agents, which is uh, a platform, kind of like the LinkedIn for the service industry. And Daniel, who else is coming on the show? And finally on the show, Amanda, we have Jen Sesu of Fish Cheeks, a local favorite restaurant, to talk about how they on the ground floor are restaffing, staffing new operations, and uh, really just hustling like crazy. So no stories this week. Uh, We're going to focus on this issue for the whole episode, but when we come back uh, in a couple weeks, we will get back to the, the fun and silly stuff. Amanda, should we just get into it? Let's get into it. First up on the show, we have Saru, who is the president of One Fair Wage. It is a national organization that is working to end the sub-minimum wage in the United States and improve wages and working conditions for the service sector. Saru, welcome to the show. Thanks. So today we are talking about the the staffing shortage that a lot of restaurant tours are are working with right now, and you often represent workers and fight for workers' rights. So I kind of want to hear about your perspective and what this situation is from a worker's point of view. So um, we've been trying to warn the industry for the last year that this was coming. We were hearing from workers all last year that they just were starting to feel like it, it just wasn't worth it to stay in this industry, to stay in their jobs. Um, because during the pandemic, um, not only did workers lose their jobs uh, and then often not qualify for unemployment insurance, because in most states they were tipped workers were told their sub minimum wage was too low to qualify for benefits. They found when they went back to work, about 70% of workers reported that tips are down 50 to 75%, and that health risks and harassment and hostility and their responsibilities are way up. So they are being asked to do so much more for so much less. They're being asked now to enforce social distancing and mask rules on the very same customers from whom they have to get tips to survive at a time when they're saying, look, tips are already down 50 to 75% because sales are down. And 60% of workers said when they try to enforce these rules, they get tipped less. And by the way, so much worse for black workers. 
60% of workers said they get tipped less when they try to enforce these rules. 73% of black workers said they get tipped less when they try to enforce these rules. But worst of all, 41% of all workers have said that sexual harassment has gone way up during the pandemic. 50% of women said that sexual harassment has gone way up during the pandemic. Mind you, in the industry that already has the highest rates undeniably now of any industry of sexual harassment of any industry in the US. Um, and as you have written about and know, we, we've been exposing that hundreds of women have been coming to us. Just today, we heard from more women saying, I am consistently and constantly asked, mm -hmm. take off your mask so I can see how cute you are, how pretty you are, before I determine how much to tip you. So they're being asked to do so much more for so much less. And we've just heard from so many, literally thousands of workers who are saying, it is just not worth it anymore. It is not worth it to be paid so little, to get so little in tips and to have to put up with so much more in terms of responsibility, health risks, hostility, and harassment. And so we did a survey of New York City workers, for example, um, earlier this year, and almost 40% of workers said they are thinking about leaving the industry. Top two reasons were health risks and wages. And number one reason they said that would make them stay is a livable wage a full livable wage with tips on top. Do you think this is a moment where people will be raising wages? Like it, workers now finally have the leverage that people like you have been asking for for so long? That's already been happening, Amanda. Uh, we've all of last year, we were hearing from restaurants across the country who said, you know what, we've changed our mind or we're, we're decided we're going to move to a full minimum wage with tips on top because Either they were moved by the murder of George Floyd and they didn't want to perpetuate the subminimum wage as a legacy of slavery and a source of racial inequity, or they were moved by everything I've described in terms of women having to take off their masks and increase hostility and harassment, or they couldn't get their <laughs> workers to come back to work. And so they did start paying a full minimum wage. And so that was already starting to happen. And I think it's going to be happening more so now. What I find very disheartening is some employers, you know, especially chain restaurants that are saying, oh, it's, it's because they're lazy and they want to stay home and get unemployment insurance. Well, at, let's return to the statistic I said at the beginning, 60% of tipped workers couldn't get unemployment insurance because in most states they were told their sum and wage was too low to qualify for benefits. And the way unemployment insurance works, if you're offered a job and you turn it down, you don't, you lose. If you got unemployment insurance, which a minority of these folks did, you lose it if you turn down a job. So truly these workers are choosing between the restaurant industry mm -hmm. and no income. And because the benefits are so low, the wages are so low, the tips are so low and the risks are so high, many of them are choosing no, no income or I'm going to find something else because it's just not worth it anymore. When you said that some people have left permanently, do you think... Do you think that is going to be a broader trend over the next few months? I, I hope not. The industry is losing amazingly talented, skilled professionals. Um, I hope it's not an ongoing trend, but I fear that if the industry fights uh, against wages going up um, and doesn't as a whole really embrace the idea that their workers need the chance to survive, to thrive, to live, to, to, to be able to take care of themselves, then that, that is what will happen. We will lose 
incredible talent. We will lose skilled professionals. Listen, this was a trend that was already happening. Mm -hmm. I know you've written about it. We were facing one of the worst labor shortages in our industry, even prior to the pandemic, in the industry's history in the US, prior to the pandemic. It's just gotten so much worse because again, the when you as a, as a, as a human weigh the risks versus the benefits of taking a job, it's just not adding up right now. You know, ex being asked to take off your mask and expose yourself and your family to the virus, being treated with such hostility and harassment for trying to do your job. And at the same time, tips are so low and the employer is yeah. not raising the wage. It's just, it's just not worth it. I think what you hear a lot from the business owners is that if they don't have staff, um, they'll raise the wages because they need to get staff. So like the kind of the market corrects itself um, argument. Uh, so what, how do you respond to that? I think that is a, a good thing. And that is already happening in a lot of cases. But I can tell you there are hundreds of small business owners. We have an association called Raise of 850 small business restaurant owners across the country. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them are people of color owned businesses. And they are saying two things. One, we're having to do this. We're having to do this to get workers to come back. We're having to do this because we need, we need to raise wages to ensure there's consumer spending during this horrible time. We need to ensure people can spend in our restaurants. So we need to raise wages, but we can't do it alone. It has to be a level playing field. Everybody has to go up at the same time. That's how we all survive together. So um, I would respond in saying it's a very good thing that some employers are finding that they have to raise wages because it's long overdue. And that as those employers raise wages, I think they're going to join us in the call for this to become policy and not just individual businesses having to do this. But I have a second thing to right. say here, because there's been a lot of talk in our industry about addressing racial inequity after George Floyd, now with the rise in Asian American violence. Like a lot of the small business owners of color that are part of our group also want to make sure their colleagues in the industry here that, you know, being, you know, woke <laughs> and addressing racial equity is not just about putting something up in your window. It's about paying people a livable wage, ending a legacy of slavery, ending a source of racial inequity, which is forcing workers to live exclusively off. Tips. Are you concerned that if minimum wage gets high enough, it will lead to more people being paid under the table and then more so like out of the system? increasing risk in a situation like this? No, uh, actually the opposite we've seen to be true. Um, so we looked at lawsuits for what we call wage theft or kind of illegal hire moves like what you're talking about in Los Angeles, which is in California, which pays a full minimum wage with tips on top, $15 with tips on top versus New York City, where there's a sub minimum wage. We found that there were three times the amount of lawsuits in New York as there were in California, as in Los Angeles. And that is because when everybody's paid a full wage, like it's not some people are paid less than others, it's actually less complicated for the employers. It's cleaner, it's easier, everybody knows the wage. Workers know that they can't be paid less or live exclusively on tips. Whereas in states with some minimum wages, we're finding the wage theft is much higher. The illegal practices are so much higher. A lot of workers, because the wage is so low, the employer can get away by saying, you know what? 
I'm just not going to pay you at all. If you want to come here and live off of tips, that's great, but I'm just not going to pay you mm-hmm. at all. That just doesn't happen in states where workers expect a full wage from their boss. And have you seen any business owners employ creative solutions? Uh, I know there are probably a lot of people listening to the show who are saying like, I just got ravaged by this pandemic. I don't have the money to raise the wages for my staff and I, I can't find people to work. What am I supposed to do here? Yeah. Well, we would love to talk to those people because we have an association that has a whole training and technical assistance program to help employers figure out how to do it profitably, how to raise wages and stay profitable, how to find other, um, you know, great way. You know, the thing about raising wages is A, you can do it slowly over time, but B, it actually reduces turnover. So there's all kinds of additional costs that are saved. It increases employee morale and longevity and customer, you know, service, their excitement to work, their willingness to stay, their ability to upsell goes up when they're paid better. On top of all of that, in 2018, we passed a law in Congress that says if you pay the full minimum wage to all workers in the restaurant, you can share tips with the back of the house. And this is a really, uh, we think, great, not just great solution, creative solution. It offsets some labor costs in the back of the house, but more importantly, it creates equity between front and back. Everybody goes up together. Um, We share the incentives and burdens of tips. Um, it really creates a better sense of team between front and back. So this is one Did of the best Did you say that's, that's proposed or that is legal now? Right, I was... That's, yeah, because that seems now. like for um, places it, that can do that, you can keep the tipping, keep that income coming from your customers, but then shift it around. That's right. That's is it the right. goal, is it your goal to push towards eliminating tipping in general? No. Um, you know, we are trying to get everybody to a livable wage uh, at, with tips on top. Um, you know, there are some employers that choose to go all the way and get rid of tips. We are supportive of that if they can guarantee that with a full salary, these workers are getting what they used to earn. Everybody's getting what they used to earn with tips. What we do know is that actually the states that pay a full minimum wage with tips on top, every quartile of workers from the highest tip earners to the lowest tip earners earns more than their peers. So the fine dining servers in California earn more than the fine dining servers in states with sub minimum wage. The IHOP and Denny's servers earn more than the IHOP and Denny's. Everybody earns more with wages and tips. Um, and it just, it just doesn't happen that tips go away or tips are lessened. So we are supportive of various models as long as people end up with a livable wage and certainly not less than what they earned. Great. La- last question. I mean, the, the $15 minimum wage was floated around, I think, in this recent in this recent package. Uh, and, and then there was criticism of it from people saying that, like it's a no-go with the tipped minimum wage being 15 right? Do you see a world in which a $15 minimum wage gets passed um, where there's still a, low, a much lower tipped minimum wage in there? That's certainly what the National Restaurant Association is fighting for. But we've got incredible support um, from the White House, from uh, Senate leadership um, that's really pushing that we finally end this legacy of slavery. So th- that's, what, that, that's what I'd love everybody to know. This train is moving. It is happening. Mm-hmm. This is the future of the industry. We are going to move away from this as a country, as an industry. Consumers want it. Workers want it. And so rather than fighting it and resisting it, let's work together to make sure 
employers can survive and be profitable and thrive uh, and see the mm-hmm. benefits of paying people better. Love it. Thank you so much for your time and for your work. Right. Thank you. Thank you both so awesome. much. All right. You Take too. Take care. All right. Next up on the show, we have Alice Chang. She's the founder and CEO of Culinary Agents. I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to because you run Culinary Agents, which I've always thought of as kind of like the LinkedIn for the restaurant industry. But I don't know. You probably have a better one-liner for it. But that's how I think of it. You connect people who are looking for jobs with jobs. (laughs) Absolutely. In in the hospitality industry specifically. In the hospitality industry. So you do like also hotels and and everything in hospitality. So before we talk about this moment, tell us what has the last year been like for people looking for work or people who have had work? I'm sure there's been a lot of obviously ups and downs. Yeah. Well, you know, as you well know, this industry has been hit harder than most and obviously the people within it and businesses. Um, You know, I think when when everything kind of um, abruptly shut down March last year, everyone kind of said, see you in a couple of weeks. Okay, we'll probably be ramping up again in early, you know, summertime, et cetera. And quickly or not quick enough, I think everyone realized that this is going to take longer to recover. And this was a, a bigger um, issue that was going to have different phases. Um, and so as businesses evolved, workers were in a very different place trying to figure out what do I do, right? Some folks uh, found other work, uh, which uh, existed, whether it be with businesses that were um, hiring and thriving Amazon and, and some other companies. And um, some some folks took advantage of this time to pursue their entrepreneurial dreams and said, hey, you know, now or never, let's just try, right? Let's create my own thing and try to connect. And and that has worked out for, for some folks and, and that's great. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see that at a macro level evolve and, and come full circle to where we are now, which is a very different <laughs> environment. Um, and I, and it seems, it seems like right now um, is really when people are ramping up. So you've seen different cities that have been open this whole time, or you've seen areas that have been able to hire, but now it seems like the country in general is starting to reopen. And, and now we're seeing all these stories about staff shortages from the restaurateur's point of view all over the country. Um, as we know, the labor market was tight even before the pandemic. So what are you seeing from where you sit? Yeah, you're exactly right. And you see different scenarios and different challenges uh, depending on the state and city as well. For for places that ha- have been uh, open for this time, whether it be at reduced capacity or not, you know, they, they have had their kind of ongoing challenges of just turnover, like normal turnover of hiring in, in, in certain cities like Miami, where they kind of had influx of people um, in general coming down there, they had to staff up and keep things um, going. So, so their challenges were far different than, you know, the state of California or New York or, or Philly and Chicago that uh, were shut down for indoor dining completely. Um, and I think, you know, as, as, as we've seen things unfold, what's interesting is that um, pre-COVID, a lot of the challenges or a lot of the talk about, you know, short staffed, et cetera, or that people were looking for certain qualifications. They were looking for line cooks with certain skills or certain experience. Um, And, you know, when they didn't find that level, it was kind of like, oh, there's kind of a shortage or I'm not finding what I need. The difference now is, especially with everyone reopening or the cities that are allowed to reopen, um, 
that were closed, all the delayed projects from 2020 that are opening, people are 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 hiring full full fledged staffs, mm. like multiple people mm-hmm. per position, not just like I need one, I need I need one here, one there. Um, but even for a business owner, if you're reopening and you're getting your 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 delayed projects, you know, back on track, you're looking for you know. 10 cooks, you're looking for 20 cooks, um, you know, to right. uh, over a span of maybe your small group, et cetera, right. um, which, which poses other challenges, right? Right. So you have these restaurant groups that are opening entirely new restaurants because they were kind of delayed until this moment. And then you have, you also have restaurants that are basically hiring new staffs because they laid everybody off and those people aren't around anymore to take their jobs back if they even want to go back. So it's like, this on mass hiring. Yeah. And you throw the complications of depending on what city state, right? And in Atlanta, for example, where the business takes more responsibility of helping uh, the worker with um, with unemployment. Well, when they're ready to call you back, you, you you have to come back to them versus other cities that have different rules. And, you know, the job seeker can, can kind of manage to that to what works best for them um, in a different way. And so you might get called back you might not want to return there. You might find a job somewhere else. Um, and so there's there's that. You know, I think I think it's a, a delayed in job seeker activity that you know if you think if you look back at you know it's not like the government gave the businesses like three or four weeks lead time to say okay you know a month from now you'll be able to open at fifty percent capacity. A lot of times businesses were getting notified you know a week ahead of time. Okay, you can open. Well, you know, a lot of things go into just opening, as you know, and, you know, from a worker standpoint, okay, well, maybe priorities have shifted for, for me or for them. Maybe, um, maybe they're currently employed in in something that is not as exciting as their previous job in hospitality, but it's doing, you know, it's, it's helping them get by now and they're going to wait and see a little bit, right? A, A lot of the data that we see is there's so many people looking at jobs more so um, than in the past and, and waiting, right? So the, the data implies that people are looking, saving, clicking, like curious, mm. but they're not taking mm-hmm. action as quickly as they did in the past for various reasons, right? That's super interesting. Yeah, I saw um, at Washington City Paper covered this and they were talking about how these workers, they do want to go back. It's not like they just want to sit at home and collect unemployment. They just want to be very selective and very careful and are taking more time and don't feel super rushed. Right. And and you can't blame them, right? I, I mean, that's, that's kind of what, um, what you would expect people to do, especially if, if some of them are, are considering to relocate or go back to, or using this as an opportunity to move to the city that they've been wanting to, right? So um, being a little bit more um, thoughtful, looking for different things, perhaps in what an employer can offer, um, you know, the, a whole, almost a whole year has passed, right? So um, a lot of, you know, as we kept in touch with and supported a lot of the workers during this time, individuals went through their own personal development and their own kind of reprioritizations. And, um, you know, folks who who, who have temporarily chosen to do something else, I personally believe that, you know, this industry is one of those like center of gravity. Like people may go do something else. And after a while, they might be like, well, you know, I really do miss this or their buddy is back Mm -hmm. in the industry Mm -hmm. and they kind of pull them back in. Right. So I feel really confident that yes, at this very moment, when every single business is, you know, chomping at the bit to hire and to staff up, um, that, you know, the workers are there, they're, they're watching, (laughs) they will come back in waves and at, on their timeframe and, when they see things that, and when they need to. Um, and that's just going to take a little bit of time. 
nobody wants to hear that, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else is the data telling you? Um, well, it's interesting in certain cities, um, we, we are able to see like, for example, in the New York tri-state area, for the most part, the majority of the applicants um, and the like job seekers are in New York, in the New York tri-state area. But in states and cities like Atlanta, Georgia, we can see that, yes, there are a lot of people in Atlanta that are looking at jobs, but then people that are in Florida, people from New York, you can see people that are physically in other cities that are looking for jobs mm, in that state. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, you know, this industry has always been very um, nomadic, right? It, it, for the right job, working for the right person, or just if the timing is right, people are willing to to move for the opportunity. And that's one of the wonderful things about, you know, this industry. And I think um, what, what 2020 also showed was that some people who physically had to move either permanently or temporarily, you know, found other ways to, to fulfill what they you know, wanted either, either temporarily or permanently. Right? Based solely on your own internal data, you could make a claim stating like which cities actually had the greatest void of or the greatest demand or supply demand uh, differential, right? For workers. Yeah. Like you could you could tell someone where the best place to go to in terms of how much they would be in demand would be. Correct. <laughs> what are those cities right now? You know, is is Minnesota like has, has everyone left Minnesota and now they're ramping up and, you know, a line cook can be a head chef or I mean, what 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 cities have surprised you? <laughs> Um, that's a great question. I will, I will, I will twist it a little bit with my answer and say the surprising or, um, it, yeah, I'll use, I'll say surprising, um, uh, cities that have just kind of popped, uh, were ones that were growing, but like, uh, we were surprised at right now at, at the activity, um, Texas. So Austin, Houston, uh, mm -hmm. Dallas, um, lots of job opportunities, lots of people looking at those jobs from all different right. cities, right? That was kind of surprising. Mm. Um, the, uh, the other one is, is Nashville, uh, so Tennessee. Um, again, lots of opportunities, uh, again, from the data from culinary agents, um, lots of opportunities and lots of people looking and, and from all different kind of cities, right? And so those are, those are kind of the, the two, I would say, the other interesting data point um, for us is in Chicago in particular, um, is that, you know, Chicago for, for culinary agents has always been our second biggest market, New York um, hmm. being our first biggest. The interesting thing with Chicago is that we, we, we saw this, the job, the number of jobs spike up um, very, very aggressively. I would say starting the beginning of March, maybe mid-March-ish, um, which was consistent with a lot of other cities, um, but the jobs spiked up the volume of people looking at jobs um, remained kind of stagnant and, and kind of, you know, didn't spike up with the number of jobs which we usually see, but the number of applicants spiked up. So to us, like the data says, okay, well, it's the same people that are applying to all of these jobs. There's so many more opportunities, right? So if you're a job, uh, if you're a business and you, what, what I would recommend is, you know, respond to those applicants as quickly as possible. Like, you know, put your best foot forward and schedule your trails and follow through with them. We did a survey earlier this year in anticipation of this kind of mass, you know, hiring frenzy um, so that we can highlight some things that were top of mind for, for job seekers and share that with businesses and vice versa. And it was interesting from a job seeker standpoint, you know, priorities definitely changed. Um, a lot of them, the, the number one kind of uh, 
fact that people were looking for in, in an opportunity with what an employer could offer was career opportunities. So you can see this whole impact of, am I going to have um, job security? Is there growth for me here? Should I spend my time and effort with this particular employer? Is that going to pay off for me? Those types of, I think, like personalized questions, I find people probably did some more of that self-reflection during the past year. What are some of the incentives you're seeing restaurants offer or hospitality companies offer to kind of get more, be more competitive? Yeah. So there's, there's kind of the, the, the immediate ones, uh, like the, the quick fixes that we're seeing. And then we're seeing, um, kind of the long-term, long-term more structural ones. Um, we do see businesses reevaluating, you know, their benefits packages, like what are they offering to their teams? How do they actually use this time to restructure and look at their HR practices so they can offer that as part of their employer value prop. Um, you know, with that may you know include things like flexible scheduling, childcare, what you know, those those types of things. Um, a little more longer term. Um, we do see people offering retention bonuses for more near term, signing bonuses in certain situations, or referral bonuses, like you know, giving their existing employees bonuses if they bring on um, you know, one of their friends or they help recruit for them and then that person stays on for X amount of time. So not not so dissimilar to some of the incentives that people had in place pre-COVID, um, but a little bit more sense of urgency now, I would say. Are you noticing that it's a certain type of job that is particularly in demand, or is it just across the entire industry, front of house, back of house, dishwashers, everybody? So that's a great question. Um, it is across the board, but the surprising point of data that we did that wasn't consistent with pre-COVID is that front of house positions, servers and hosts. Um, whereas in the past, line cooks and back, specific back of house positions were always notoriously like, you know, the the number one pain point. Um, part of several things I think factor into that in general. With, you know, some some businesses were open throughout this time and they retained and kept some of their back of house mm. staff. Um, you know, there is a little bit more negotiating power for for employees in general. Um, front of house, potentially, you know, more exposure. So there is a safety factor that's a little different um, that may come into play still here. Um, and, you know, for for folks who are on, uh, you know, who are on tipped wages, it's, it's very unpredictable potentially um, mm. right now, depending yeah. on the city and state. So I, I do see that there's a little bit more urgency. I'm also seeing that businesses historically who are looking for even a, a certain level of experience with the host hostess or, um, you know, an entry level position are really now focusing on, you know, positive can do attitudes, you know, we'll, we'll just train them up on being, you know, these entry level positions, which, you know, again, I, I think businesses in this industry know how to survive and will do what they need to do to, to get to the, the next step. And, um, and we're seeing Interesting. That. A specific question about the platform. It, do you, does it keep track? Like, do you see someone's full profile on there? And would you see if they were someone who, for instance, like moved around a lot or someone who had had issues with a, with a restaurant or, I mean, does that information stay with people through you guys? So, so no, we don't, if somebody has an issue with a particular employer, uh, you know, we don't, we don't get involved in that, mm -hmm. in that stuff. Um, and we don't allow employers to put that out there so that it potentially hurts that person from getting another job. Um, I think everyone knows in this industry, it's like a huge, but small industry and you never want to burn a bridge because everyone kind of right. knows everyone else. Um, 
because our tool is, so we focus on job marketing, just post with us, we distribute everywhere, and then applicant management and tracking for for talent, we make it easy for them to have their profile and just apply to jobs with that, update their information, mm-hmm. et cetera. We do have ways to allow employers to track, because we're an applicant tracking system, to track applicants across their own properties um, mm-hmm. and take internal notes. So let's say somebody, no call, no show for a trail at one location and then applies to another location downtown. We allow the employer take internal mm-hmm. notes, but that's what's, you know, but that information is only within the security of that particular um, employer. It doesn't get transferred outside. Okay. So I think this is probably the most important question is pastry on the rise or the, de- or the decline post COVID. That's a very interesting question because I was just staring at some of this data. <laughs> I have seen personally, not from the data, I have seen um, more savory folks uh, beefing up their pastry skills. Um, so kind of this, um, this focus on cross-skilling and upskilling across the board, mm-hmm. I think was something that was definitely just top of mind throughout, throughout COVID is just folks kind of, you know, figuring out how to, how to continue to beef up their own, you know, skills, et cetera. Um, we do see, uh, pastry, um, positions, all levels, like executive level to prep, um, level uh, still actively on our site. Um, so that's an indicator that that is still a position that is valued. Um, baking has been kind of folded more into it uh, in a way. So mm-hmm. it, instead of before just being like a pastry, now it's like baker, uh, baker, pastry, et cetera. Interesting. Um, so uh, so that's that's the indication. I don't yeah. I don't as much as I was kidding. Yeah. I think actually the pastry to savory ratio is kind of an indication of a of a of a time period's um, I don't know level of luxury or yeah. I think I, what, I think it, it is interesting because yeah. you know during the recession we saw so many pastry jobs disappear, but like in a potential revival, we could yeah. see a lot of those come back. But a lot of pastry individuals might have gone off into business for themselves and now they have an Instagram shop and they don't want to go back to their old fine dining job. Yeah. Famous. The famous donut lady is probably pretty bummed. (laughs) Anti-donut woman. Alice, what do you say to restaurateurs that come to you for advice on this stuff? Like, I'm sure a lot of desperate people are like, how do I get my job out there more? Like, how do I find somebody? Is it just about the perks and the money? She tells them to start a job placement service online and close their restaurant. (laughs) No, I mean, as as you can imagine, you know, this is I, I empathize. You know, I've, I've we have had and I've had this macro view of everything that's unfolded over the past you know year. So I I can only imagine that now that they get the green light, you know, and and guests are like chomping at the bit. Now they're like, well, we can't you know fully staff up to be able to you know open and and do what we want to do. Um, so. Other than the best practices that we typically say with our site, you know, recruiting multiple cities, like all of our tools are set up specifically for like the nuances in this industry. Um, a couple of things that are, are very practical things that that are helpful is, you know, something as simple as just taking a look at your job descriptions um, and just, you know, making sure that your employee employer value prop or your culture or something is highlighted in there and that you're actually representing yourself uh, the way that you would want to be represented is somebody who wants to work for you, right? And a lot of businesses do amazing jobs focusing on all their guest-facing things, but when it comes to their employee or potential candidate-facing things, sometimes you know there there is room for improvement. Um, so those types of things, like make sure your job descriptions 
I actually encourage people to put um, to be transparent as transparent as as possible um, because you know that is something I think is top of mind of job seekers. It's like give me my information. Don't try to beat around the bush and give me like um, like a job description that molds like four jobs into one. Um, you know, just tell me what I'm what I'm signing up for, and then let's let's have a conversation. Um, I also encourage them to be responsive and, and as, as responsive as possible, even though everyone's very busy. But, you know, if you see an applicant that you're interested in, you know, jump on it um, and, and connect with them and be responsive because um, you never know who else is, is reaching out to them, right? And, and those, those first impressions are, are important. Um, and, uh, and then keep at it, right? You can't just post one job or tell your your team or put an Instagram post up and then be done with it, right? This is, you know, people are, I always kind of quote, I think Google said it best, which is if you can't be found, you don't exist, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, yes, you want people to assume that you're always looking for a great, ta- you know, talent, but if if somebody is there at a particular time looking and searching and your, your information isn't there or it's not obvious that you're hiring for a particular position, regardless of features like I want to work here that we have that let people drop off resumes to you, you have to make it as easy as possible for them to see like, yes, we are hiring this position. This is what it entails. This is why we're great. And you want to work with us, apply here, click this button. Right. And from a tools and platform standpoint, we've made it as easy as possible for that to happen, but we can't put the actual information in there for you. Fascinating. Well, Alice, thank you so much. This is so insightful and I think really useful for any of our restaurant industry listeners as well. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right, Amanda, to round out the show today, we have Jen Sesu from Fish Cheeks. Uh, Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Broadly, we've been talking on today's episode about uh, the the shortage of staff in the front of house and the back of house, uh, kind of for restaurants, but but sort of on a, on a national scale. Go to your restaurant a lot, and you guys are doing well. And I, we were curious to t- kind of talk to someone who's on the ground, actually, um, you know, hiring. So how, how have things been for you in, in terms of, in terms of picking people up right now? So because we were open the whole entire time, um, we, we saw, um, like a little bit of a trend where in the beginning it was extremely hard to find help. And then when things start to kind of open up or there's outdoor seating and stuff like that, um, there were, there was like a little bit of, oh, like it was easy to find people because there are people kind of looking for jobs, right? And then it went right into there's no one else left at the moment. <laughs> so, so. Sorry, when I talked to you about this like two months ago and you were really optimistic and I mean, I, you were telling everyone that it was like not open season, but you said it was really easy to find people. Like right. you're saying that has changed dramatically in the last two months. Right. Right. Because like before I remember I was doing an, like an open call for a manager and I was getting all these people that have that, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to afford them or get them in just because we're like a smaller organization and they have like crazy resume and, you know, have like crazy background and pedigree or whatever it is. And it was, it was nuts because I was like, oh my God, what is happening right now? You know, like all these people with 10 plus year experience that are super overqualified are, are, are interested in, in this position or like a floor managing position. And, but that kind of 
is like short lived. <laughs> so that's gone. Now, <laughs> now are you like lowering your <laughs> expectations? Yeah, now, now, now I'm lowering my expectation. I'm bumping up my salary and you know, like I have to be extremely co- competitive um, with the market right now. So that's, that's where we are. We, we did this before, but I don't think we really went crazy with it, but Facebook communities, I think it's a great way of finding help. Like we, there's, there's a thing called like Thai community in Facebook, Burmese community in Facebook, um, Chinese community in Facebook. So we, so have you had to change the calculus for the business and work in higher wages for your employees? Yeah, especially, yes, especially for back of house. Like we, we have to be extremely competitive. Like, Oh, what? I think, you know, I think the average kind of pay before for like a dishwasher is just like $15, $16. Now we're doing like 18 to 20, depending on how, whoever it is, you know, if they're, they're in the house and they're amazing and they're great, we're kind of just like, please stay with us. Don't leave. Have you had to change like your hours or how much you're able to do based on? We're very adaptive, I want to say as a business. So, you know, I think. I think if it, we're almost back to what our business was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of transitioning back to whatever we were doing before COVID. So that that uh, that was already in place. So we're we're just slowly trying to get back there right now. Yeah, I've talked to some people who like they want to bring brunch back, but they can't because that would mean hiring more people and they don't have more people that they can get or like that would mean the owners having to not get any day off. And so I think a lot of people are making calculations like that or they want to open earlier or later and they just can't because they can't find the people. Right. No, for us, like even now they, they extended the curfew, right? We're, we're trying to find more people so we can actually extend the curfew right now we're still doing you know the 9 30 last call 10 o'clock last call because i don't have enough body in back of house and i don't want people to i don't want people to just like kind of have to work you know 12 13 hours a day and that, that would be a little crazy can you talk about some of the other incentives that you've come up with to uh to be competitive especially in terms of back of house I mean, we're very generous right now and we're very forgiving at the moment. It's almost like we work with whatever schedule you have. If you have like, you know, like if you need to only work two days a week, we'll work with that. If you only need to work 40 hours, we'll work with that. If you need a little bit more, we'll work with that. So we're very, (laughs) very kind of forgiving when before it was, it would be like, you know, no, this is what we want. If you can fit the mold, then then you stay with us. If you can't, then it won't work out. But right now, we're really trying to work with whoever. So basically, what you're saying is this—it's all real. There, this—it's—it's it's real out there trying to find people right now. Oh no, one hundred percent. It's a very, very real. But I think it's—it's it's also possible to find people. I think you know, there's always people trying to find something, like trying to find work. Um, but. It's just a matter of, you know, if they're a good fit for your restaurant. Or not. Um, and I guess last thing from a, like a philosophy perspective, has, has the pandemic taught you to like listen more closely to the ever changing rules that are being passed down or, or taught you to like treat things with a little more disregard and, and kind of with a like, you know, tell me to shut shit down. I'm going to do things until you tell me to close kind of attitude. 
all of the above. <laughs> it's it just I, I think this whole last year has taught us to kind of be flexible and you know try to be as adaptive as possible. Um, if you have like a fight in you and you're willing to kind of hustle and like work hard again, it's you know I think it we're there's a market for it and you you're you will be able to survive we'll let you get back to it uh it sounds like there's a lot going and on good luck appreciate your yeah, time thank, thank you. you so much thank you, thank you. Bye. bye so daniel um what do you think any any closing thoughts after hearing it from our three on the ground experts yeah i think chuck schumer giving all these restaurants money has created a staffing shortage wow what a take what a take that was not what i was expecting <laughs> i mean i'm being the government silly, bailout has led to too much prosperity for these people too much competition <laughs> um i liked alice alice chang's take of this is a readjustment and i i think that is correct i think that there's a huge demand right now because everybody's reopening and they're all, there's a pent up demand from these projects that haven't opened yet. People are still scared. People are still scarred. Also, we didn't talk about this, but parents are still having to stay at home with their kids while they go to virtual school. So there are a lot of people who still have to deal with childcare issues and will have to deal with those issues for a while. I've seen a lot of restaurateurs talk about that, how it's been hard to hire for certain shifts because of, the needs on parents. Um, But I think there is also a world in which this does raise wages for a lot of these workers. Um, Like maybe dishwashers can be making $18 an hour in New York City, and that's a good thing. You know, everyone was saying early COVID, I'll never complain about food costs again. And, you know, and I, I hope that it does trickle down, trickle up, whatever it is. I, um, I, I, I like to think that the, when the schools fully reopen, I, I can't believe they haven't, but when the schools fully reopen, that that would be the difference maker. But I still think that childcare is a huge problem because mm-hmm. that the time that people are in school is not the most popular time to go to restaurants no. to begin with. No, no, no. So I think like it would be great if, if everyone, it would be great if the only thing stopping people from working in restaurants was... Uh, looking after their kids. Well, no, I just think that's one element we didn't talk about. I think the big one is that people are still afraid to go back. There are still people who aren't vaccinated. It's not super fun to deal with anti-maskers right now. And people are scarred from basically being thrown out. You know, there are certain restaurant industry workers who've been laid off three times over the past year. Like, that's not fun. So I think they might might be waiting until they get to a point of stability. Yeah, yeah. Before hopping right back in. A note also for our listeners who just dine out at restaurants is be patient because you might be going to a place that's extremely understaffed. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you, you do often hear that kitchens run by seven people are now being run by four. Yep. Um, but uh, it's a sad thing that's going on. But I think uh, from what we've learned today, the pressure it has the capability. This pressure has the capability of pushing things in the right direction. Yeah. I guess my other closing note is that there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction to this story that is unemployment is too high. 
everyone is lazy and just taking unemployment and that's why. And I don't think that is the straightforward answer. It might be an element of this, no. but there's so much else going on and so much more at play. And I think that is a, like a very easy talking point that people go to that is not necessarily nuanced. Yeah. And also, if that is really the answer, like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like, offer offer better offer better right, work experiences. Right. When When this is an industry that feels safe and good for workers, the workers will come back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can all eat cauliflower rice at home until that happens. Sad. Um, yeah. <laughs> Daniel, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, for putting this episode together. Thank you oh, to no Alice. Thank you to Alice, Saru, and Jenna. Uh, thank you to all our listeners. Please send us any feedback to digestateater.com. And we will be back in a couple weeks. <laughs>